Turn to page 853. If you have your own Bible, then you can just turn to Hebrews 13. We are this morning at the close of a long series of lessons on Sunday morning. Look at it, Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to finish out this book today. In some ways, I'm sad to see it go. It's a great book, filled with all kinds of truth about the Lord, an absolutely wonderful depiction of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and this beautiful comparison between what it is that Christ has done and the Old Covenant. In many ways, I'm glad to see it go. He's preached from the same book week after week after week. I'm kind of ready to move on and get to another part of the Lord's Word on Sunday mornings. But this has been a great study. And this morning, it's just perfect the way that the Hebrew writer finishes this book because he finishes it in a very summary kind of way. That makes sense. I think that Hebrews was very possibly written as a sermon to begin with. And so it's very possible that this sermon writer gets to the end of the book and he sums up what it is he wants to say. And he does so in a series of statements where he just goes, Bang, 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 bang. And here's what I think about these things, very quickly. And there's about seven or eight of these. And this morning, we're just going to run through them. And so if you have your Bibles in front of you, that's fantastic. You're going to be able to just get right into this in these verses. So again, page 853 of the Pew Bible in Hebrews 13. If you have your own Bible, praise the Lord. I'm really an advocate still, after all these months, of still saying, bring your own Bibles. I think that's a very good thing. We're going to talk about marriage, and we're talking about parenting, and we're going to talk about being a child of the Lord. And it'll be tempting for you to not bring your Bible as much, because we're not going to be doing this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter kind of study of of God's Word. I encourage you to bring your Bibles anyway, because we intend, surprise, to read the Bible together as we do some things with family. So bring your Bibles, and God is going to continue to bless us. Now in chapter 12... There has been an admonition, an exhortation by the writer to continue to reverence the Lord. He has drawn out the distinction between the Old and the New Covenant, and he says in chapter 12, basically, don't give up on this. Continue to worship Jesus. And there's temptation for you, and there are challenges for you in terms of your faith. You may be challenged to go back to your Judaism, but don't. Your former way of life, and this would apply to so many of us, you might be challenged to go back to your former way of life, but don't. Instead, stay with Christ. And then he says in chapter 13, verse 1, as he runs through this list of statements, keep on loving each other, brothers. And then he gives a couple of examples of that. And it all has to do with mutuality. Don't forget to entertain strangers. And the idea is that in the body of Christ, they're not strangers. For so by, by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now there's a shocker. You could entertain an angel. Now I have to admit to you, I don't know what to do with that verse. Does that mean that if I am occasionally hospitable, that there are times when I could actually be hospitable toward an angel. Let's imagine that I walk out of the building this week and there's a fellow sitting here with the back, his back against the, uh, the church building trying to stay out of the rain. 
And I was hospitable toward him and I said, let me go buy you a hamburger over here at the mall. Could it be an angel? Is that what this text means? Could it be an angel? You know, there's one limiting factor here that would make it so that it couldn't be an angel. And that's if you don't believe in angels. Or if you don't believe that God enters into our world in the way that He says He does. And I think He does enter into our world. And so it's possible, it's conceivable that we could entertain angels. I don't know what to do with that. Except to do what the text says. Don't forget to entertain strangers. And we need to be hospitable. They might be an angel. They may not be an angel. God wants us to entertain strangers. Look at verse 3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. What's the principle there? Somebody tell me. What's the key principle in terms of treating the prisoner and treating those who are mistreated? How do you treat them? Does that sound familiar? Paul, well, if it's Paul, says, treat them as if it's yourself. And there's there's some other scriptures that talk about that. There's a passage where Jesus says, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. And so the Hebrew writers, he rounds up his thoughts here after a long series of exhortations to follow Jesus is saying, Treat others here the way that you want to be treated. And it's as if he was quoting Jesus when he says it. Look at verse 4. Marriage, as he switches subjects, should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. You know, there's not many things in this chapter that are as applicable as this one. When we look at today and we say, boy, does, you know, does the book of Hebrews have anything to say to us today? Is there anything contemporary in these words? Well, there's something contemporary there. You know, my sense is that as time passes, it will be an, an ever more present temptation for us to dishonor marriage. The challenges that are here today in terms of dishonoring marriage are huge compared to what they were 50 years ago. Things are not the same. Things have changed. And so we need to be a place, we need to be a church, a people that stands for the honoring of marriage. And I think our study this fall will do just exactly that. That will be one part of what it means for us to honor marriage. Look at verse 5. Keep your lives free from love of money and be content with what you have. Well, if verse 4 and the application to honoring marriage is a challenge, how about this one? The demise of the family and the rise of materialism are two things that loom absolutely huge in our culture. And we've got to take this seriously. You know, my impression is that we violate this scripture all the time even against our own desires to do so. I think our culture is so dominant in what it says to us about the importance of materialism that even when we think we're not loving money and not loving materialism, that we are. And I think it encroaches into our lives in a way that we can't hardly imagine. And so this is something that speaks right to the church. It's interesting as he finishes out these verses, 
have this attitude, he says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the biblical writer says, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? On Tuesday night, uh, there was an elders meeting. We have elders meetings on Tuesday nights a lot. And we looked at the fruit of the Spirit together. And I had each of the elders point out two fruit of the Spirit that they, elements of the fruit of the Spirit that they think they're not so bad at. And then I took, asked them to take two that they weren't so good at. And I said, let's share. Let's talk about where are we weakest when it comes to fruit of the Spirit. And when it got time for me and I shared, I said, one of the things that I'm not so good at is this whole notion of peace. The whole notion of satisfaction. I mentioned earlier that I got up in the middle of the night because I heard that water dripping in the wall. You know, it seems like I hear that water dripping an awful lot. And what I mean is there's an awful lot of times when I get up in the middle of the night because, not because I think I hear sounds, but because there's something on my mind. There's something on my mind and I, I'm not filled with peace and I worry about things. There's a part of me that just needs to rest a lot more secure in my Lord than I sometimes do. And in our world where I think anxiety and tension is so huge for us, we need to allow God to set us at peace. So this, man, all of this just seems so practical to me. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is interesting to me. Like, what is it about what's going on in the life of the Hebrew writer that causes him to say, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you? It's possible that these leaders to whom he's referring have passed away. It may be that these are the apostles or some early leaders in the church who've spoken the word of God to these brethren and they need to be paying attention to them. But they seem to have forgotten. There seems to be a lack of memory when it comes to those who've gone before them. Isn't this the case? Sometimes we don't honor those who've gone before us quite the way that we should. I really appreciate what was said earlier by John about Carol Straker. A saint who has gone before us. And for many of you, had such significance in your life as a Christian. We need to remember those people, pay attention to them, allow those leaders to have had the kind of impact on our lives that they need to have. If I had to put a word to this, it would be something like consistency. For those of you who are younger and you think, I'd like to choose a mentor. I'd like to have somebody that I can look to and really follow this person with reference to my faith and grow. Who would you choose? Like right now, think about that question. Who is it that you would choose if you were going to choose a mentor in terms of your faith? Where would you go? Who would you choose? And let me give this piece of advice. And I think the text is giving this piece of advice. Choose someone whose life is consistent. Someone who for years has walked the walk in Christ. You know, this verse at the end here, in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It almost looks like that's thrown on there at the end. It doesn't seem to have a connection. 
What does that seem to say in the context? What is the point here? And I think it's this. That the leaders that they're forgetting lived a life of consistency. And that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so were these. And there was consistency in their lives. And following after them, we also need to see and choose consistency. And so you Hebrews who are tempted to go back on your faith in Christ and maybe return to Judaism, I want you to be consistent. Stay faithful for the long haul. We've talked a lot about staying faithful, how important that is. We want to stay faithful to Christ. Look at verse 9. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Now specifically, the strange teachings he's talking about is in the next verse or the next words, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods. Clearly, there's a temptation for them to not be grounding themselves in faith and basing themselves in faith, but instead to be thinking about some kind of legalistic adherence to a food law. He wants to make sure they're not. Adherence to a food law would take them right back into Judaism. He wants to make sure they're not there. And so he says, instead, stay faithful to Christ. Don't be carried away by strange teachings. And he counts, this is so interesting, he counts legalism in the church of Jesus Christ as a strange teaching to be avoided. These things, he says, are of no value for those who eat them because we have a different altar. And our altar is one who ultimately is Christ. Then look at verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us go to him, he says, therefore, outside the camp, Bearing the disgrace he bore. And I think what's happening here is that the Christians were being disgraced because of their faith. They're tempted because of the disgrace of being a Christian in light of this Jewish culture. They're afraid that the Jews are going to continue to come down on them. And so they're, they're wanting to uh, go back to Judaism. And he's saying, don't let your disgrace in Christ or what you think is disgrace in Christ cause you to go back to Jesus. Verse 15 through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. And I think when he says confess his name, he's talking about the confession of Jesus. And so we're going to continue to worship him together. Praising him. When you ask what, what should characterize worship in the church, it's going to be the confession of the name of Christ. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who have given account. I wrestle with this verse all the time exactly what it means. I think in context, we're looking at a group of people who are not honoring their leaders the way they should, and they really need to. Uh, it's interesting, this word here for obedience is a different kind of word than the normal word for obey. The, the point here is, have a submissive heart. It's not so much obey the leaders, they have authority, as much as allow yourself to submit to their authority because that's the way of Christ. Do you see the difference? Submission of the heart to those who lead. It's a different kind of leadership and leadership ethic that we have within the church. Because we're going to follow those who lead because that's what we're called to do all the time. We're com called consistently to submit. In Philippians chapter 2, you remember the, the passage that talks about Jesus and his submission? What does it say that Jesus didn't count? 
says he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. Remember that? In the case of the church, we're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. Wayne's an elder. I'm not. But God doesn't look at Wayne and think, Wayne's a really good guy. Kelly's not. Okay? So Wayne and I are equal in the Lord. But when it comes to my submission, my willingness to submit, my heart of submission, there's a sense in which I continually submit to Wayne as an elder and a leader in the church. I think I'm called to do that. Equality with Wayne is not something for me to grasp. That's not something I'm seeking. I'm not wanting to hold on to that. He has a position in the church I don't have. It's ultimately a position of service. But I submit to Wayne and I submit to the other elders because that's what we're called to do in Jesus. In fact, the whole lifestyle as a Christian is a call to submission. It characterizes everything that we are. If we were to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Submit to one another then out of reverence for Christ. And it's talking about the whole church. It then goes on and says to the wives that they're supposed to submit to their husbands. It characterizes everything that we are in Christ to submit to one another. That's just who we are. And so we submit to those who lead because that's the Christian call. In fact, this is interesting. Tell me if this isn't right. When you find someone who's willing to submit to leadership, you found somebody who's worthy to be a leader. Isn't that right? I think that works. If you find someone who is worthy of leading, it's because they're willing to submit to leadership. And if they don't have that submissive heart, it disqualifies them from being worthy to lead. Well, I think they had a problem with this in the church to to whom he's writing, and he calls them to something different, the submission that is always the vocation within Christianity. Then look at verse 18. This is the last one. He simply says, pray for us. We're sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. The prayer here is to have unity. Paul wants to be, if it's Paul, the writer wants to be, restored back to the church and to be unified with them. And so we're consistently called to pray for each other all the time, for our leaders all the time, pray for the ministry of the church all the time, and pray that we might together be in community in Jesus Christ. For 13 chapters, the Hebrews writer has been calling the church to something deep. Deep with respect to their understanding of who Jesus is. Deep with respect to what this is supposed to do in their lives. Deep with respect to the unity that they're supposed to achieve. Deep with respect to their faith. Deep with respect to their commitment to the word of God. Deep with respect to honoring God and worship. Deep with respect to the difference between the old covenant and the new. And so, there's a sense in which we go back to about chapter 3 or chapter 4. 
where the Hebrew writer says, I want to be able to give you meat. And this morning, I want all of you to ask yourselves the question, are you meat worthy? We've been looking at the book of Hebrews for months, trying to take seriously what it means to be the church, what it means to be faithful, what it means to listen to a a living and active word of God which is able to pierce to the very division of soul and spirit, Hebrews 4.12 says. I pray that we've been listening to Scripture. And I pray that we will continue to listen to Scripture and to be the faithful church that God calls us to be. Because if there's anything that the Hebrew writer says, it is, he says, be faithful. In a world that challenges you at every point of your journey, be faithful. When there's persecution, be faithful. When there's temptation to return to something else, be faithful. We have people in our auditorium this morning who haven't always been Christians and it'd be so easy for you to just revert to the old lifestyle. We have people here this morning who have been Christians, left the Lord, and then come back. And it'd be easy for you to go back and revert to the old lifestyle. And Jesus is begging you through the Hebrew writer not to do it. And so I look around and I think to myself, okay, there's uh, 250 people here this morning. At the end, I want all 250 to be with me in glory. All these new babies... You know, I watched Greg Kleinsaucer lift up this new baby this morning. Did you not get the irony of this? Greg Kleinsaucer, who is just changing his life and becoming new in Christ, holds up a new baby and has the chance to see this new baby live a life that will be governed now by the principles of Jesus. And Greg, you've got to be faithful, brother. You're going to have to be faithful always. And the transformation that's taken place, it's got to be with you forever because this new baby is absolutely dependent on Greg being that. And if he's not, that baby doesn't have much of a chance of being what Jesus wants him to be. But if we are faithful, the Hebrew writer would say, there's a chance that those who come after us will be faithful. And we will build something that will last an eternity in the lives of all people. And so be faithful. And if you know you're wavering, be faithful. And if you think to yourself, I haven't been what I need to be, then repent and be faithful. And God will bless us all as we move on together as a faithful church before him consistent in our expression, the depth of our commitment to Jesus as Lord. I am so excited about the future of our church. 
I'm so excited about what God has been doing among us and where he's taking us. Like we're a church who reads through the book of Hebrews and says, we're going to do this. We're going to be faithful. And we have people like Greg and people like Mike Pineda, people like Adam and Tamara, who are looking and saying, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful. Are you? Are you going to be faithful? Oh, I pray you will be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the final exhortations that come to us in the book of Hebrews. So many of them are timely. Father, help us to to be hospitable and help us to honor marriage and uh, help us not to love money. Uh, help us to be submissive in our spirits. Father, help us to pray for each other and to build one another up. Lord, all these things simply comprise faithfulness. We're so grateful that the Hebrew writer has called us to that. Father, there are so many people here this morning who just need to be faithful. And I'm one of them. Help us, Father, to be called by you to be faithful and to answer that call and to live lives of sold-out commitment and faith to you. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.